Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. And my name is Duffy Henderson, and I'm your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in today, and may the Lord bless this episode in particular greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. And today I am excited to start another uh, little mini-series in the life of the podcast. Um, I'm joined with a guest, Tyler Milliken. I'm excited to have him. He's been on the podcast before, but today we're going to begin a new little mini-series, and it's going to be talking about biblical hermeneutics. And some of you may not even know what that word means. We're going to get into that. We're going to take it from uh, from, uh, the ground floor up and kind of build on uh, this concept of hermeneutics. But before we dive into things, Tyler, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Duffy. Yeah, we were excited to to talk about this. We've been discussing kind of what this could be and its benefit. And of course, we're going to be doing this kind of in conjunction with and on the side with the uh, BBI, the institute that we've begun, and uh, just giving some resources specifically for our church, but uh, also those who would be interested in maybe going into pastoral ministry or the ministry in general. And these are some great uh principles to to know how to uh, read the Bible, how to study the Bible, and those sorts of things we'll cover in just a few minutes. But um, first of all, we're just going to ask a very basic question. Tyler, what is hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is something that we do all the time. Hermeneutics is what we do every time we read the Bible. Hermeneutics is what we do when we sit under good preaching and teaching. Because hermeneutics is what we would call the art and science of biblical interpretation. So we're relying on the Spirit of God. There is a subjective experience that believers have. But there are guide rails to this process of interpreting God's Word, which means at the end of the day, we want to interpret God's Word correctly. And so the science of interpreting God's Word is known as hermeneutics. Now, that's not just a technical term that scholars have invented. That's actually a biblical term. Because Jesus himself uses that word for hermeneutics in Luke 24, when he explains to all his disciples what the Old Testament really means. And so we have a very famous passage here. I shared this with the advanced students in the BBI course, that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets and all the Old Testament scriptures, he interpreted for them the meaning of those scriptures. And that term for interpretation is our root word for hermeneutics. That means he explained the content and the meaning of what the Old Testament was really about. And so all throughout the Bible, you have people with various interpretations of Scripture, whether it be correct interpretation or incorrect, whether it be legalistic or whether it be gospel-centered, whether they're worshiping false gods or whether they're worshiping the true God. These are all a result of hermeneutics. So starting with this, we understand that there has to be some level of interpretation. And I suppose this is where I would start, is just to remind everyone that despite what our culture thinks, interpretation is not a bad word. Because now it's used as a bad word and it's used to write off the discussion. And people say, well, that's just your interpretation. Interpretation. That's right. But Jesus here is giving his interpretation. Mm. 
And so what we would say at the end of the day is let God be true, even if every man is a liar. So we want our interpretation to line up with God's interpretation. And he gives us many principles for interpreting even within the Bible itself. That's really good. Um, You know, in my, in my growth and my, my reading and my study personally, I've come to realize that everyone has a hermeneutic, whether they know it or not. And uh, it's helpful to not only kind of walk through some basic principles of this that we'll do, but uh, it's helpful as an individual to kind of know your underlying, and we'll get into this, but underlying presuppositions that we all bring to the text of Scripture. So I don't want to steal thunder, but just understanding that none of us, when we open the Word of God, we kind of bring, I've heard it said, we bring all the stuff that we've heard about the Bible over the course of our life with us to the text for better or for worse. Good or bad. Uh, and so it's helpful as we, uh, as Christians, not even as pastors and teachers, but just as Christians, are just aware of the things that we believe to be true. And they may very well be true, but it's always good to evaluate. And so I think this series of episodes will be very helpful in clarifying some things, but also in helping to evaluate one's own hermeneutic or hermeneutics. Yes. So it's really reminding me of something that the reformers always said, which is that we need to always be reforming. So what we're talking about is trying to line up our interpretation of scripture with Jesus' interpretation, the apostles' interpretation. And that means we always want to examine what we understand and what we believe in light of scripture itself. So there's this beautiful cycle of growing in our understanding and beginning to interpret and understand God's word better and better. And I think practically what this means for many people is that if they're sitting under sound biblical teaching and preaching, that's going to help them to grow more and more toward a correct and accurate interpretation. That's a great point. On the other hand, people need to be very careful about listening to teachers that are shaky or if they're unbiblical, because it's not going to help them to interpret God's word correctly, even at a very foundational level. So there are basically five layers of hermeneutics that we focus on, and some of them are well known. Some of them are less well known. We call these the literary, grammatical, historical, theological, and redemptive hermeneutics. So if I'm using hermeneutic here as a noun, what I really mean now are the lenses through which we're looking at any passage of scripture. So scripture is obviously revealed to us in writing. So it is a literary work in that sense. It's not just literature, but it is a text of revealed scripture. That's right. And so with that, God has given us a grammatical expression, very precise language, we could say. He reveals his historical backgrounds of what was happening in the first century with Christ and the apostles or in the Old Testament and so on. And we need to be sensitive to all of these things. But I want to pause here first at the first three lenses, because back in the bad old days, especially in the 19th and 20th century, this used to be all that most scholars did, as they would just look at the text as literature, look at the grammar, the precise language, they would look at the historical backgrounds, and they would stop there. Which means at the end of the day, there was nothing spiritual and nothing eternal about their interpretation. They would have the same interpretation that a secular historian would have. 
because those were the hermeneutics that they were using to approach the text. So as believers, and this is what believing scholars have always done, we have to go a bit further. We have to understand the spiritual essence of the text, what are the spiritual implications, the theological lenses, and then above all, this would really be the central hermeneutic that we always want to aim for, to understand the redemptive value of every passage that we look at. So when you hear people talk about a Christ-centered or a gospel-centered approach to Bible interpretation, This means they eminently have a redemptive hermeneutic. So in that sense, what I'd like to sort of organize here, I like to use the analogy of the five rings of the bullseye, where we might start toward the outer ring and say, well, obviously there's some value to the literary and grammatical reading of scripture, but that's not all that we do. We want to move closer and closer to the center to understand what it was really like for the apostles to go through their trials in real living history? What was the real spiritual lessons of their trials? What was the theology? But then at the core, if we don't get to that gospel-centered redemptive interpretation, I think that's really missing the mark of what God has designed us to do when we approach scripture. So these would be the five main hermeneutics that I would encourage. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. So I I think we would also say that um, the the first three are very important still. Yes. Right. The literary, grammatical, historical, very important process or steps rather in the process of arriving at a proper interpretation of a passage. But that's not all that there is. We have to go further. I like what you said. We we do these things, but at the end of the day, if that's all that we do, um, anyone could come to the same interpretation that we come to. And of what spiritual value for the Christian would that be if someone who is not a Christian could also come to the same interpretation, right? Yes. When you put it in kind of that sort of language, it makes sense like, oh, well, of course, there has to be something deeper that God wants us to be drawing from this text. Um, And that's where we have the wide lens of the redemptive historical uh, that gives us perspective about our passage in its place. So all, all those things are very interesting. Don't want to steal your thunder there. Absolutely. Uh, keep on, keep on, brother. It's very helpful. We have to keep all these things in mind. And ultimately, this is not just a scientific or what we would call a critical enterprise. There is actually something beautiful and spiritual to what's happening here. And this should ultimately lead believers into worship, right? This should lead us to worship and adoration. And this is one reason why we call this the art and science of biblical interpretation. I do think it's very helpful, as you said, to sort of think of a movement here from the literary lenses at the beginning beginning all the way toward the redemptive interpretation toward the very end there because we always begin with the text but we may not understand the text thoroughly when we start but we always want to land on that redemptive interpretation now the larger question is where does all of this come from yeah. is, is this just produced by some scholar's mind that he just thinks well in my opinion our interpretive approach hey, we've got five points up this there, that or the so. other <laughs> That's right. So actually, this comes back to that foundational passage in Luke 24 that we started with. I love it, yeah. So Christ took his disciples through all the literature of the Old Testament. Moses gave his people the law. That's a whole body of writing in its own legal code of literature. All the prophets, all the poetry, all the Psalms, right? We could compare Luke 24, 27 and Luke 24, 44, which says something very similar. This is in verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in one, the law of Moses, and two, the prophets, and three, the Psalms, must be 
fulfilled. What he's explaining is that in all of biblical literature, whether it's law, prophets, or poetry, everything is ultimately written about him as the Savior. And so the central interpretation must be redemptive because Christ is the key and center to understand all of Scripture. So really, I think we need to begin, if we're truly going to be Christian disciples, we have to begin with Jesus' approach to hermeneutics. I agree. Now, I, I will just throw in just a, an objection that I've heard maybe with the, along these lines, and maybe we can get into this in the later episodes uh, more in depth, but... Um, there, it's been raised with this sort of an approach, uh, is Jesus uh, proverbially hiding under every rock in the Old Testament? Is he in every single verse of the Old Testament? Uh, and those kinds of questions. You want to maybe tease and answer that to that, and then maybe we can fill that out later on? Certainly. I think that's a very helpful thing to keep in mind, is that Jesus is walking with them on the road to Emmaus here. He's obviously not reading every word of the Old Testament to them. And so what I would say to begin with is that every passage of Scripture in some way points forward to Christ and the salvation that he was going to bring from the Old Testament or the salvation that he has accomplished if we're looking at the New Testament Scriptures. That's helpful. But with that being said, when we look at the granular details of every word of the Bible, I think we need to be very careful because there was a trap that some of the church fathers were falling into, which is known as allegory. Yes. And this is where you might have a hundred interpreters looking at one verse and having a hundred different interpretations, and they're just sort of spinning scripture around, bending it like a wax nose in every direction. Yep. And that's obviously not what Christ is doing. Sure, he has a sure. thoroughgoing, consistent interpretation. So the place that I would begin is to say, we need to be careful with those little details, but it's helpful as a starting point to remember that every passage as a whole, in some way, is going to point forward or backward to the saving work of Christ. The real question for us is, how do we find the legitimate evidence in the text that points to his saving work so that we can teach that and share that with others? Well, and that's a great thing. If we could go back real quickly, could you put up the bullseye again? Yeah, I think that this five-step, five-part hermeneutic, five-fold hermeneutic that you have really helps to serve to uh, put guardrails up because we are still dealing with the text itself. And I yes. think that the allegory... Uh, that has the tendency to uh, get away from what the text is just saying on its face, and then you just import things. And so this approach kind of is an all-encompassing approach, so it keeps you grounded in the text, but the theological and redemptive uh, keys really help to unlock how those, like you said, how those portions of Scripture that are maybe more obscure point to Christ or in some way develop that redemptive theme. So, Yes, it's very, very important. And so one of the fundamental rules that we'll talk about time and again as we study hermeneutics is that we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we might even think of that outer ring of the bullseye as actually something like a boundary. So we're not taking Scripture where a philosopher might rip it out and say, this reminds me of Plato. Or someone might say, in a postmodern, relativistic approach, someone might say, this reminds me of a sad day I had when I was 12 years old one time, right? Well, it's not dependent on all these external factors right. to That's interpret right. it, but it exists within the context of Scripture itself. So there is something of a boundary to the canon of Scripture, and then we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's good. So I think that's an important place to start. 
So we're really starting with what we would call foundations here. And one of the first things that we need to talk about in order to be able to understand Scripture as a whole is really one place where critics and some people might actually attack believers and they might ask, well, how do you know anything? Especially in this very postmodern age that we live in, everyone's skeptical, everyone's watered down their understanding of truth, and they've reduced everything to just human interpretation. So we do need to be ready to give an answer or a defense of the faith to explain how we can sufficiently know the truth And really, what this begins with is a classic problem in theology of how we can know God if God is infinite. And this is one place where some people might challenge believers, and I think believers are rightly assuming some good things when they approach the Bible. They're correctly understanding this as a God-breathed revelation from God himself. It's the voice of God speaking into our world. But those are the kinds of things that we need to flesh out when we share this with people who might be questioning the faith, or even more so, it might not be Uh, defending the faith, it might just be someone who's curious, someone who's not a believer who wants to know more. And so this is a classic question that theologians have always discussed, is that how can the finite, that's us, approach God who is infinite? Because at the end of the day, we have no direct contact with God except through Christ. That's right. And so we have to look forward to Christ as the mediator, first of all, for our salvation— But second of all, we have to look at him as our mediator for revelation as well. Well, didn't he also tell his disciples that he has revealed the Father? He has come from the Father, especially in John's gospel. Uh, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he is the very manifestation of the revelation of God, the Father incarnate. I mean, that's the beauty of the incarnation. So yes, he has to be our starting point. Uh, for that. I love that. It's really the perfect text to begin with. When when people ask about this type of problem, John 14, 6 is the answer. The answer is that no one can come to God unless they come to God through Christ. There's one door. There's one door. And so people, I think, oftentimes are, are rightly reading that verse as a believer, and they're getting the good stuff at the end of the verse. But the beginning of the verse is very challenging. That's the shocking part. Everyone thinks they can come to God. But what Jesus taught is that no one can come to God unless they come to him through Christ. And in the very same passage, he's not just the mediator of our salvation. He also mediates for revelation of God as well. Because as you rightly pointed out, to see Christ is to see the Father. It's very, very very important. Yeah, very good. So this actually answers how we understand revelation. And there's two different modes of revelation that we have in the world. And these are two very important categories. Our listeners might want to either ponder on this. It's also worth writing down if they have something to write down with. And that is the category of what we call general revelation compared to special revelation. So when we think about general revelation, we could talk about the book of the world, as they say, versus the book of the word that God has put in scripture. So all human beings have some access to this general revelation in the book of the world, and that's why we're all accountable to God. We all have a sense of right and wrong. We all have a conscience. God has put his law in our hearts. So we have enough information to be accountable before God, but the only way for someone to be saved is through what we call special revelation, which is through scripture itself. So 
scripture is God's saving revelation of truth. And this is where we begin to talk on a deeper level. And we can go into this a little bit further. We talk on a deeper level about how we know truth, which is not just equated with your truth is your truth or my truth is my truth. The question is, what is God's truth? And what is the truth that God has revealed? Because if God is true, then even if humanity is arguing with him, let God be true and every man be a liar. That's very good. Yeah, so you've got a slide up here. We're going to just keep this thing moving. I love this. You've got um, a Venn diagram thing going here with the, the three categories of knowledge. Speak to a little bit of this and, and get us uh, talking about how... Um, well, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, can we know, how do we, how do we know we can know things? So like that's the, the answer or the question that we're asking. Can we know, uh, can we come to a right knowledge of scripture? Can we come to a right knowledge of God? And the answer, of course, is yes, but there is a proper hermeneutic. There's a proper pathway, shall we say, to arrive at that. Um, and so, yeah, go ahead and, and Keep this going. Absolutely. And this is really, again, answering the challenges and skepticisms of the world around us because the world around us is suggesting either that everything is simply a matter of human opinion or a little bit further skeptical. People would claim that we can't know anything. Yep. And so that would be the problem of ignorance. But on the other hand, someone would say, well, if God is infinite and if you truly know God accurately, your mind would have to be infinite because God is infinite. So how can you know him if your mind's not infinite? That presents an impossibility, right? Right. I mean, that's like, well, okay, that can't happen. <laughs> right. So it seems. So it, so seems, it seems, right? Unless God, who is infinite, has mm. provided a mediator between mm. the finite and the infinite. That's right. So this is where essentially what we have is an analogy between divine knowledge, that's God's knowledge, and human knowledge, and that's ours. And so Christ, again, is the mediator that allows us to know God sufficiently, even if we don't know him perfectly. And so this is why we can have a sufficient saving knowledge of God in Christ. We can know enough to trust him that he has forgiven our sins and everything necessary for life and godliness, but we will always be growing in our knowledge throughout our entire lifetime because we're never going to know him perfectly. That's right. I love that. He, we, we can know him sufficiently without knowing him perfectly. I love, that's a great way to put that. And so this is what moves us away from the fears of absolute ignorance versus really the parody of needing to have absolute all-knowing omniscience to know God, is that there is a bridge of sufficient knowledge to be able to know God sufficiently and accurately. And we could think of many examples in our own lives. And those who are married or they have children, or even if you just have a close friend, you can think about how you don't know each other perfectly, but you know each other sufficiently well enough to carry on a permanent relationship with That's each right. other. That's right. You'll always be growing in your knowledge of each other, even between human beings. And so how much more can God, who is a better communicator than we are, communicate the revelation of himself to us and then allow us to grow in knowing him better and better over the course of our relationship with him. Now, the reason that this happens is actually twofold. I've shared really the, the key is that Christ is the mediator between God and man, but the reason why he's able to be our mediator is because we're created in the image of God. 
And that's really what makes the connection sufficient for God to reveal to us. He's not sharing the same type of revelation with fish or cats or dolphins or whatever it may be, right? But he's given a human mediator. We're made in his image. And so it is by his spirit that he's actually showing us the truth of Christ. So there's a very important passage that I'd like to share. And this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read this out loud for everyone. And it's worth pulling up as well if people want to see it. But the revelation that comes to us from God, 1 Corinthians 2 says that he has revealed these things to us through the Spirit. So if someone asks, how is it that you can know God? This passage gives us the answer. For the Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. Yeah, love this text. So if someone claims, well, God is infinite. How can you know the depths of the infinite God? Well, thank God that we have a mediator. And it is Christ, but even more, it's Christ and the Spirit of Christ as well. So the Spirit of Christ knows the depths of God perfectly. And the analogy that Paul uses is the analogy of human thoughts, because we're made in God's image. There's a great analogy there. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So if the text were ending right there, we would not be able to know God. But the text doesn't end there. The next verse tells us in 2.12, Now we have received something. And it's not the spirit of the world, which is filled with doubts and skepticism and all this watered down version of truth. But it is the spirit who comes from God that we have received so that we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God. And so... One of the great answers to a world that is in doubt and confusion is that if God is almighty, all-knowing, infinitely powerful, nothing can stop him. He is perfectly able to reveal himself and to communicate sufficiently and to help us understand who he is. Praise the Lord. And as you're reading that text, I was thinking about John 14, 26, which is almost a parallel text to this, but... Uh, John writes, but the helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, praise the Lord, this is a promise that he has fulfilled, he's come through on this, he has sent, he, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will teach you all things and bring you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he ends with peace, I have with you, my peace I give to you. So that is a, a perfect text for us, along with this 1 Corinthians 2 um, that there is, we have a way to come to a right interpretation to help us to discern the things of God. Well, it's wonderful and it should be a great assurance for everyone because God is at work to help us understand Him, which yes. is just a glorious thought. Yes. And so when we compare this to humanistic interpretations of Scripture or watered down interpretations or what we might call poor hermeneutics, we're actually comparing spiritual interpretation with simply human opinions or human interpretations. So the last two verses in our passage tell us this, that we are imparting the words of God in a wisdom that is not coming from human wisdom, but it is taught by the Spirit of God, which means that we're going to interpret spiritual truths among those who are truly spiritual. And so one of the great divides in the discipline of hermeneutics is that the natural person, that is someone who's not spiritual, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's right. So 
the great dilemma is that for God to be known, as we've said, God is able to communicate himself sufficiently. He's able to reveal himself to us in a way that is accurate, sufficient, and it is even saving that he can do all these things. The challenge, on the other hand, is that he must be the one to do this because that great divide between the finite and the infinite still exists. So those who are on the outside and wondering how can this happen, in one small sense, they are right to raise that question because the divide is fathomless between God and between us. But if God is going to reveal himself to us, this means if things must be spiritually discerned, then God must awaken us spiritually for us to understand him because God is spirit. That is a crucial point there. Would you would you lean on that for one moment? Repeat what you just said with the... Uh, What's necessary to come to a proper understanding? Absolutely. So since God's word must be spiritually discerned, if we are going to understand God, he must awaken us spiritually because God himself is spirit. That's right. God is spirit. And so he must give a spiritual revelation to his people, which actually brings us to what we call the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit, which comes back to another famous passage right in the Gospel of John. Which is? John chapter 3. Oh, of course, of course. You must be born again. Yes, yes. Because if anyone has not been born again, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. And so at the end of the day, we're talking about how do we understand? How do we perceive? How do we rightly interpret God's kingdom? It means that we have to be awakened spiritually, which means that we must be born again to understand the things of God. Mm, That's good. Well, as we wrap up this episode on a, just a general introduction, some foundations, uh, close us out with a couple of final thoughts before we, uh, we, we close this one out, Tyler. I think ultimately at the end of the day, this should give great assurance to those who are leaning on God to understand him. And it should also at the same time be some challenge and some warning to those who are trying to interpret who God is without taking God at his word. Because people can claim that, well, the text makes me think of this, that, or the other thing. But if someone is speaking, and if you truly listen to what the author is saying, the author is able to communicate who he is. So it causes all parties to have to truly listen to God, to take him at his word, and to know that if we listen to him carefully, and if we trust him, he is actually telling us who he is. That's really good. Well, I think we're going to stop there for this episode, and we've got some more great stuff to talk about in the upcoming episodes. But thank you, listener, today uh, for taking time to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast, particularly this new episode series. Um, We hope this has been a great help and a blessing to you. Don't forget, before you go, like and share the podcast with someone that you think would also benefit from it. And again, uh, as I always remind folks, you can submit us a question on our website through our media tab for a future podcast uh, episode, uh, a question or a topic that you'd like for us to discuss. But until next time, as usual, grace and peace be with you all.